May the 7th, 1954. Five girls from the June Daly Watkins Modelling School are taken by an artist to photograph them for a calendar. Once on location, the artist pulled a gun on them and proceeded to rape them. Sentenced to death, how could he then kill two women? This is the case of Leonard Keith Lawson, the comic book killer. Hi, I'm your host Cambo. Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Islanders, well, last week's show was a blast from the past, and this week is no different. This week we go further back in time to 1954 Sydney, where June Daly Watkins had a modelling agency and school, which she started in 1951, just a year after opening her personal development school for young ladies to train them in etiquette and deportment. Yes, it sounds funny now, but girls would go to her school to learn how to act like young ladies. Now, June was born in in 1927, and she still teaches etiquette to young women in China. She's 92, bless her. Back in the day, comics, although still big today, were huge back then. And one comic called Action Comics, not to be confused by the British and American comics of the same name, was launched in 1946. In the second issue, a character called the Lone Avenger, created by 19-year-old Leonard Keith Lawson, or Lenny as he was known, was immensely popular. The Lone Avenger, which obviously was a blatant rip-off of the Lone Ranger, told the story of cowboy Paul Nichols, who dressed in a white hat, red mask, green shirt, leather gauntlets, belt and boots. According to Joe Sergi of the CBLDF, which is the Comic Book Legal Defence Fund, the lone Avenger fought crime, first on the range as a wandering hero, and then in the town of Red Red Rock, where he eventually would settle down and become Marshal of Red, Red Rock. I can't say Red Rock. He had a horse called Midnight, and Lawson, he grew up out of the sticks at a place called Wagga Wagga, a six-hour drive southwest of Sydney. His father was a butcher, he had a younger sister and he passed the intermediate certificate and claimed he was at one time ducks of his class. At 19, he married a girl the same age as him and they would have a daughter and two sons. In 1954, he separated from his wife. Now back in the day, and I hope I don't annoy anyone with that phrase, I've said it a few times over the last couple of weeks, but back in the day, American comics were banned in Australia. This helped the local industry, and Lawson's Lone Avenger comic became very, very popular, probably because of the depiction of, and I'm, these aren't my words, but bosomy heroines, which any young comic book reading lad was sure to appreciate. So Lawson's at the top of the heap in the Australian comic book world. Not only is he a comic artist, but he's also a painter and a photographer. So, 
born in 1927, and as I said before, Lawson was only 19 when his comic book character became very successful. By 1954, where this saga starts, he had several other characters, the Hooded Rider and Diana, Queen of the Apes. There was another character, like a secret agent type, type called Peter Fury, and he did that under the name of Keith Leonard. On the 7th of May 1954, Lawson had organised for five models from the June Daly Watkins Modelling Agency to go with him on location for a calendar shoot. He wanted to take not only fully clothed shots, but also shots of the girls in swimsuits. Lawson had not only prepared his camera gear for the shoot, but also he took with him a sawn-off rifle, short pieces of rope with loops tied in them, and a knife and strips of adhesive tape and sticking plasters. Obviously not props for the shoot. So at 9.45am Lawson picked up the young women from the studio and drove them towards Terry Hills. Now that's less than an hour's drive north of Sydney. Other than the main residential area at Terry Hills, it's mainly bush. Lawson stopped the car. They all got out and walked about a quarter of a mile into the bush. Lawson took photos of the girls and then they all sat down for a picnic lunch. After lunch, the photo shoot continued. After taking more photos, Lawson went to his briefcase where he took out a sawn-off rifle, pointed it in the direction of the now-shocked girls and he said, I'm suffering from cancer and I'm going to do away with myself. If you all behave yourselves, no harm will come to you. He ordered them to lie face down, then took out his rope and roller sticking plaster, tied their wrists and ankles, then placed the sticking plaster over their mouths to stop them from screaming for help. He then stripped one of the 15-year-old girls and proceeded to rape her. He repeated this on one of the other girls and then sexually assaulted a third girl. During the assault, one of the girls tried to grab a sheath knife from Lawson's pocket, but he noticed and waved her away with the gun. Satisfied, he then unbound the girls, ordered them back in the car and drove back towards Sydney. The girls had him stop at Gordon. Now that's about 20 minutes drive southwest of Terry Hills, where he let them out of the car. They immediately called police and it wasn't long before Lawson was arrested. After the girls were interviewed by police, they interviewed Lawson. Detective Giles said to Lawson, These five girls say you've assaulted three of them. Lawson replied, Yeah, that's pretty right too. Whatever they told you, that's correct. Lawson would also go on to say that he'd taken the gun with him to Terry Hills to force his attentions upon the girls. He said he was thoroughly ashamed of what he'd done. He said, I needed the gun and knife to force them. I needed the rope to tie them up so they'd not struggle. And I needed the tape to place over their mouths so they could not call out. Now, Lawson had met and done photo shoots with two of the girls previously and met four of them also before. So I guess when June Daly Watkins was approached by him to have five models, she didn't think there would be a security issue, especially having five girls together. Why there wasn't a chaperone with them, we'll never know, especially being back in the day, and standards were a little different. Anyway, his trial was held in the Central Criminal Court in Sydney on the 22nd of June 1954, where Lawson pleaded not guilty. 
On the 24th of June, just two days later, Leonard Keith Lawson, 26, commercial artist, was found guilty on two charges of criminal assault and he was acquitted on the third charge. Now get this, before his sentence was passed, the judge asked him if he had anything to say and Lawson just shook his head. He was then sentenced to death for the crimes he had committed. As he was leaving the dock to go back to the court cells, the judge called him back. Justice Clancy said, Before you leave, I want to add this. It's not my practice where a sentence is fixed by Parliament to make any observations. In your case, I propose to depart from that practice. I should not want you to leave this court in the belief that you can expect any clemency in any recommendation from me to the Executive Council. I accept the law as it is, and I think it's a proper law and a just law. I think that in your case, there is no reason why it should not be carried into execution. Well, the death penalty. But as it looks as it was a mandatory sentence at the time, the judge was just rubbing it in at the end saying he deserved it 100%. But this is by far not the end of this story. In 1955, New South Wales abolished the death penalty for everything except for treason. So Lawson had to have his sentence sort of redetermined. In doing so, he would end up getting 14 years for his crimes, but would only serve seven of those years before being released in May 1961. So from the death penalty to seven years. I mean, either the first penalty was way too severe or the final sentence was way too lenient. What do you think, Islanders? Well, let's go on. On the 6th of November 1962, the now 34-year-old Lawson, who police had described at the time, and these are in air quotes, formed an association with 16-year-old Jane Bauer from Stewart Avenue Manly, well, he'd organised to paint a portrait of her. Now, it looks like Jane had been groomed by Lawson and he was able to get her back to his Anzac Avenue Collaroy flat on the pretense of her posing for that portrait. She had posed for him before, and he had told her this would be for the Archibald Prize. Now, that's the biggest painting prize in Australia. However, when he got her back to his room, he made advances towards her. Jane knocked him back, which enraged Lawson. He then hit her on the head with a sock full of sand, knocking her unconscious. Now, where the fuck you have a sock full of sand on hand, I don't know. He then started to remove her clothes, tied her hands together and started to rape her. As she came to, he placed a cord around her neck and started to strangle her. But Jane kept on struggling. Lawson then stabbed her in the chest and she died of her injuries. Very early the next morning, Lawson fled south about a couple of hours drive or so to Moss Vale. But maybe it was about three hours back then. But Jane's mother had been worried that her daughter hadn't returned the night before and sent nephew Graham Troy to go with her to the artist's place she was supposed to be posing for. Graham forced his way into the flat at about 5.30am and found Jane's partially clad body lying on a bed. Lawson, when he arrived at Moss Vale, went to the chapel at the Sydney Church of England Girls Grammar School, also known as Skeggs, 
where about 40 schoolgirls were attending morning services. He had with him a .22 rifle and he menaced the teachers and students who were obviously startled and shocked at what was going down. He told them he intended to hold them hostage so that he could prolong his freedom and negotiate with police. He told them he had killed someone already and wanted to speak to three people. The headmistress, Miss Jean Turnbull, was present inside the chapel and she approached Lawson. He pointed the rifle at her and she backed off a little. She said to him, What about our leaving certificate girls? They have examinations this morning. Lawson replied that he didn't care about that. Lawson then let Miss Turnbull return to the front of the chapel to continue the service. Now, (laughs) this is on a real Aussie as. A chapel full of students being held hostage, and the service just goes on as if nothing's happening. Anyway, Lawson then called out staff member Miss Turnbull and gave her a slip of paper. On the paper it read, To whom it may concern, read this carefully before any attempt is made to contact police. Lives depend on it. By now, the police will be hunting me for murder, so I'm going to hold the girls hostage for a few hours. No harm will come to them if you obey my instructions to the letter. I am heavily armed, my most effective weapon being a high-powered automatic rifle which holds 15 shots in the magazine and which I can fire almost as fast as a machine gun. If any attempt is made to contact police before 12 o'clock noon, two girls will immediately be shot dead. I'm not bluffing, I've killed once, so now I have everything to gain and nothing to lose by killing more. It's the same penalty I must face. The police will be handed a note instructing them to bring three people here so I can talk to them. When that is done, I shall quietly give myself up and no one will have suffered any physical harm whatsoever. As long as in the meantime, no one tries to enter this room or approach any closer than 100 feet of this room without my permission. Every time I see anyone within that distance, I immediately shoot one girl through the head. If we need anything or anyone, I will give a key there and a mistress will stand on the pathway between the chapel and the office and I will give her further instructions. I will be constantly on the alert, so make sure there's no one in the office block or closer to this room than a hundred feet. Anyone that comes closer will be the direct cause of an innocent girl losing her life. I'm not a killer by nature or desire, but if forced to do so by anybody foolish enough, then I won't hesitate. If I see hide or hair of the police before 12 o'clock, then I'll make you regret you ignored my instructions. I'm sure you don't want any girl to die because of your stupidity. Now, you think that note is a long note at 345 words. The Joe Benet Ramsey, Ramsey Ransom note, that was 376 words long. But that's another episode I should do later. So that's a big note. Now, Miss Turnbull gave the note to a Miss Brooks, who in turn left the chapel. Now, while Lawson was not looking and probably writing down his note, Miss Turnbull had previously written a note and thrown it out the window. 
It read, Miss Daintree, a man is holding us up here with a shotgun. Get lots of police. He's threatening to shoot the girls. Jay Turnbull. Now, what I really love about this note, being a headmistress, Miss Turnbull, it was perfectly punctuated and, of course, signed off. Anyway, she then approached Lawson, this is Miss Turnbull, and asked him, what do you want? Lawson repeated he was going to hold the girls hostage. Miss Turnbull said, I don't think much of your style. It's not very clear. Give me time to clear it up. If you're going to shoot, why not start with the staff? And Lawson replied, why? Miss Turnbull said, they all have their lives in front of them. They are more important than we are. Anyway, because of the note that Miss Turnbull's thrown out saying get lots of police, well, lots of police were coming. Soon, police were heard arriving out the front of the chapel and as Lawson turned to look towards them, Miss Turnbull tried to grab the barrel of the rifle and wrest it off him. She was able to grab the muzzle and point it towards the ceiling, but Lawson was able to get it back to her chest level. A few of the girls joined in in the struggle. Lawson then spun around in an arc, firing as he turned. The rifle discharged five times, and one of those shots hit and killed 15-year-old student Wendy Sue Luscombe of Huskinson. She was just sitting in a pew. Miss Turnbull suffered wounds to both of her hands. She had a bullet hole through her blouse, so she was a very lucky lady. Police smashed the glass in the door, charged in and were able to arrest Lawson and take him to Mossvale Police Station. And eventually, they charged him with two counts of murder and one of attempted murder. He told police on hearing of Wendy Sue's death, Ten minutes ago, I was insane. Now I'm sane. It's hard to imagine that all this is happening to me. Why didn't I shoot myself last night? I didn't mean to shoot anyone. I only wanted to hold them as hostage. Now, Lawson had with him a toy pistol at the time. The original plan was to scare everyone with the rifle, and once they are under control, he would put the rifle away and use the toy pistol so that no one could get hurt. Now, it looks like he got a bit caught up in all the excitement. So this scum, Lawson, gets off a death sentence... He's then resentenced for 14 years, but gets out in seven. And then within a year, he murders one girl, then kills another after taking hostages. Now, I think the judicial system really got this one wrong. Now, Lawson had cased this school before. He'd been there on the 20th of June, five months before the killing, where he spoke to the headmistress about a book he was writing. A month later, he attended the morning chapel services. So, clearly a creepy sort of guy. Also, he'd done work with the models from the June Daly Watkins before he decided to bind, gag and rape them. So, it looks like he's M.O. Get in with people, get them a little bit comfortable with him, and then his urges, he just can't stop them. And he has to go about raping and then murdering. He would ultimately be sentenced to life imprisonment for killing those two girls. On December the 15th, 1972, 
there was a dance group that visited Parramatta Jail where Lawson was being held. After the performance, the Prisoners Arts and Craft Group, of which Lawson was president, gave the performance some refreshments. Lawson then got up and formally thanked the group, and when he ended his speech, he placed his left arm around one of the performers, Sharon Hamilton, he put it around her chest, and then held a knife to her throat. Lawson also had a knife in his other hand, which he pressed to Sharon's side. Lawson called for everyone to leave the room. Now, he was trying to use Sharon in a bid for freedom. Two other prisoners then jumped Lawson, and Sharon fell to the ground. Lawson's escape attempt failed, but sadly, Sharon was deeply distressed by the incident and would end up in the notorious Chelmsford Psychiatric Hospital which is probably another whole story in itself. She would kill herself six years after the attack. They tacked another five years onto his sentence, even though he was doing life. Now, Lawson tried to get a determinant sentence in 1994, but Justice Badgery Parker of the Supreme Court, he said he was still not ready for freedom and that there was a very significant risk that he would be a danger to the community if released. Now in jail, Lawson painted quite a few paintings and these still hang in Grafton Jail where he died of a suspected heart attack in 2003. Well, Islanders, another one of those judicial fuck-ups where someone is released after a short sentence, they then escalate their violence and in the end, people, they get killed. At least they didn't let him out after that and he died in jail. He spent 48 of his 76 years inside Hardly any of his adult life was lived in freedom. The irony is, he created a cartoon. That's the Lone Avenger, where that Lone Avenger character would fight crime and save the damsel in distress. But he's lived his life in the absolute opposite fashion, being a raping and murderous criminal. So that brings us to the end of the show and I'm going to take a short break over Christmas to go and see the lovely Kate. I'll also be back first week of January so please everyone have a very safe, happy Christmas and New Year. Now also in January I will be launching the new YouTube channel so please feel free to subscribe to the channel now as I do have a few audio only cases up there as a placeholder. They'll get deleted once we go to full video. In regards to Patreon, Keith, I have your stickers on my desk at work to post out to you. So sorry for the delay. So I'll keep the ending short this week, but I'd just like to say again, thank you all to the Island listeners, past and present patrons, the PayPal donators, the sharers and the reviewers, the mods on the Facebook, Abby, Sanger and Jason, all the retweeters and Instagrammers. Thanks to the lovely Kate and to all my other podcast friends out there. I hope you have a safe, merry and fun Christmas and New Year. Now, don't forget we are a big community, so if you need a friend over the festive season to talk to, there are plenty of us to reach out out to as well. So, I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Bum vagalanga.